Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. This is your host, Joel Dover, and welcome to Season 3. Hey, we study Bible prophecy here from a dispensational, pre-tribulational, premillennial point of view, and we're always rapture ready. Grab your copy of God's Word and let's jump in together to see what the Lord has for us here on the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. So good to be with you. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to put out an episode. So excited to uh, be back together studying God's Word, and I'd like to go ahead and invite you to grab your copy of your Bible. We want to turn to Revelation in chapter 9 today. We're continuing our discussion on the trumpet judgments. Last time, of course, we worked our way through chapter 8. We learned that the uh, beginning of the trumpet judgments really comes out of the breaking of the seventh seal judgment. So, a continuation of the sealed judgments with the unveiling of all of these new judgments. Last time we were looking through chapter 8, we actually learned about the first four of the trumpet judgments. And so today we're going to continue that look in chapter 9. Chapter 9 will teach us about two of the trumpet judgments. And then in chapter 10, there's a small interlude. And then finally, we'll see the um, uh, remaining, when we get to chapter 11, the remaining seventh trumpet. And uh, we see that familiar structure as we look at these judgments, the um, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. We see an interlude typically uh, between the um, you know the sixth and seventh uh, judgment here as it's poured out. So you're going to notice that familiar structure as we continue through the book of Revelation, and we'll point those things out, of course, um, as we go. So let's just think about the trumpet judgments again, uh, just to kind of help you with the structure. The first four are grouped together textually, and the last three are unique. And because of the uniqueness of the last three, um, we need to focus again on the announcement in verse 13, where if you look back at chapter 8 again, in verse 13, the Bible says, I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe. Notice the three woes there. And that was spoken to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So these last three trumpets, you know, noting those three woes, woe, 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 these are known as the woe judgments, okay? And so they are uh, just exceptionally uh, difficult upon the earth and upon the inhabitants of um, the earth during this age. So I want you to notice, well, there's an interlude between the blowing of the sixth and seventh trumpets. Again, that's a pattern we're going to see over and over in the outpouring of these judgments. So uh, think about the patterning of what we've what we've learned so far. Chapter 5, chapter 6, we saw the first seal judgments. Chapter 7 was the first interlude. Chapter 8 was the seventh seal. The seventh seal reveals the first six trumpet judgments, chapter 8 and 9. When we get to chapter 10 and 11 next time, that's the second interlude, followed by the seventh trumpet. And then the structure is going to deviate slightly from here in the book of Revelation, but it will be similar. In chapter 12 to 15, we're going to see the third interlude, followed by the seven bowl or the seven vile judgments. And then uh, in chapter 17 to 22, the judgment of Satan and the establishment of the Lord's kingdom. So just note that there is a pattern, there's a structure here that's important. And when we're doing Bible study, we need not just focus on the particular verse, text, passage that we're studying. It's helpful to us to see these kind of patterns and to realize that there is order and organization in the way that the Lord has revealed this to the uh, biblical writers and in the way that they have presented it slash preserved it for us as modern readers today. Okay, let's get into chapter 9. We're going to be talking here about the uh, fifth angel and uh, the the fifth trumpet here. So uh, 12 verses as we get started here. This is the first woe trumpet judgment. The Bible says in the New King James, Then the fifth angel sounded, 
And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past, verse 12 says. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. There's that Greek phrase again, meta tau ta. So let's pause here in the scripture. We won't read the rest of the chapter yet, but let's talk about the fifth angel, the fifth trumpet here. The Bible begins way back in verse 1 and tells us that a star fell from heaven. And the Bible specifically personifies this star. The scripture says, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So what we're learning here is that the star here is a he. We also learn in this passage that there is a pit. And the pit contains interesting creatures here. The pit is presently secured. We know that because it is presently locked. And this angel that comes to earth, this star that comes to earth, is presented with a key to this pit, which is called the bottomless pit. It's interesting. We note that there is a bottomless pit, There are interesting creatures inside of there, and we learn that God controls the opening and the closing of it because who has the key? Who presents the key to the angel? Well, the Lord does. And so God controls the opening and closing of it. So the star comes down. This angel comes down. He opens the bottomless pit, and the Bible says that smoke arose out of the pit. How? Like a great furnace. The Bible says the smoke coming out of this pit was so significant, friends, that the sun and the air were darkened by it. Now, out of the smoke, as the smoke rose out of this pit, locusts came upon the earth. But it's clear as we read the Bible, these are not normal locusts. When you think of, you know, locusts in a a wheat field now, no, that's not what this is all about. The Bible says that these locusts were given power as of the scorpions. And the Bible seems to be referring very clearly to stinging ability. The Bible also says they were commanded not to eat the grass, which is what a locust would normally do, right? They would, you know, if you've ever seen the locust, they can destroy a field in no time. They're, uh, they have a ravaging appetite for the, for the fields of the earth. But these locusts, listen, don't do what locusts would normally do in attacking the grass, the fields, those kind of things. These ones were instructed to attack and torment human beings, specifically men who lacked a seal of God upon their foreheads. There is a marking that takes place, and we'll discuss this as we get deeper into the book of Revelation, but... There's a marking where some are marked as the Lord's people and others lack that mark. They lack that seal. And so the men who do not have the seal of the Lord, that is the unbelievers who are still upon the earth, those who have rejected the Lord, who are resistant to the Lord, they are not followers of of the Lord Most High and His Christ. 
They lack the seal. They are the ones who are tormented. And the Bible is very clear here that these locust creatures, these scorpion-like creatures, have the authority to sting men, but they cannot kill men. For a period of five months, notice the specificity in Scripture. They are given the, the authority to sting and to afflict men with these stings that are like a scorpion sting. Men would be in such torment that they would seek death, but the Bible says death will flee from them. So, friends, they will um, inflict so much pain that men will desire to die, but the Lord will withhold the relief of death from them. It is truly an outpouring of God's wrath and suffering uh, widespread upon the earth among the unbeliever. Now, these locusts, according to the Bible, have a very strange appearance. You'll need to use your sanctified imagination to even begin to fathom what these things might look like. The Bible says that they were shaped like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads was something like a crown of gold. Their faces had the appearance like the faces of men with hair like women's hair. We presume that probably refers to the length of their hair and the style. Their teeth were like a lion's teeth. So think about what that looks like. They had breastplates like those of iron. When they moved, the sound of their wings, the Bible says, was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. Use your imagination. They had tails like scorpions, and their stings was their sting was in their tails. So again, uh, very scorpion-like. And their power was to hurt men for five months. The Bible indicates they have a leader over them, a king from the pit, a king, a, what we might call the scorpion king, quite frankly. And the king is here in the Bible called the angel of the bottomless pit. In the Hebrew, his name is Abaddon. In Greek, it is Apollyon. So interesting. So something is going to happen, my friends, where the Lord unlocks through the ministry of this particular angel, the fifth trumpet, the fifth angel, unlocks the bottomless pit, smoke rises. These creatures come out to torment the earth. I want to say to you that, uh, as we've noted before, there's been a lot of speculation in uh, prophetic teaching, Bible prophecy teaching about this. I remember some years ago, uh, Bible teachers, some, some Bible teachers, not all of them, but some Bible teachers were insistent that this must be like a military attack helicopter, an Apache helicopter. I mean, look at it. Look at the way it looks. And then people have gone on to speculate what this might be. Friends, I just believe that we ought to take the Bible in its plain, literal meaning. Clearly, we're seeing something in the Scripture here that we've never seen before. John is trying his very best to describe to us what he has seen in this particular vision. I think it's fair for us to say whatever this is, it comes out of the bottomless pit. It is supernatural. It is not of this world. And I think we need to understand that the Lord here is uh, raising up creatures like we've never seen before to do something that has never happened upon the earth. Five months of torment from these particular creatures that inflict God's judgment upon the earth. They are released and apparently commanded by uh, this uh, angel over them, Apollyon, who certainly I would suggest to you appears to be, because he comes from the bottomless pit, a uh, fallen angel, uh, if you will, a, a demonic power, if you will. Okay, verse 12, one woe is past. What a terrible woe. Imagine that. Behold, two more woes are coming after this. And so uh, this is the first of the three woes. Let's continue on to the second and see what the Lord has for us in chapter 9, verse 13 to 21. The Bible reads, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow, 
And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. Verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And friends, that brings us to the end of the reading of chapter 9. So let's work through verse 13 to 21. The Bible tells us that there is a voice that comes forth from the four golden horns of the altar, which is before God. And so we know, of course, that the temple is a replica of the heavenly throne room. We have, for example, uh, uh, the vision from Ezekiel of the throne room. Also, John has a revelation vision of that as well in verse one, uh, chapter 1. excuse me. And so we know that um, there is an altar there before the, the Lord, and this voice comes forth from the altar, which is for, before the Lord, and the voice speaks to the sixth angel. Release the four angels who are bound at the river Euphrates. It seems that these angels have been prepared for this hour, for this day, for this month, for this year. It seems like this is their exclusive purpose. They are finally being released. And when they are released, of course, the Bible is very specific here that they are released with the intent, with the purpose of killing a third of mankind. Now, we would presume, of course, that uh, just as the first woe, they are uh, releasing judgment upon those who do not bear the mark of the Lord's protection, who do not have the mark of the Lord's seals. All three of these woes affect those who are unsealed, who are unmarked by uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are released to kill one-third of mankind. Apparently, they come forth with an army of horsemen. The Bible says in verse 16, the number of those with them was 200 million, and that John heard the number of them. That is a tremendous, tremendous army, my friends, 200 million on horseback. And then, of course, the Bible gives us a description of the horses and riders. The Bible says that the uh, breastplates were fiery red, uh, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. So imagine those uh, beautiful colors, but also fearsome to see, of course. The heads of the horses were like lion's heads. Out of their mouths, that is, out of the mouths of the horses, came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And the Bible says that these are three plagues. Look again at verse 18. By these three plagues, that is the fire, the smoke, the brimstone, one-third of man was killed. I want you to note that um, this is, again, the outpouring of the judgment of God upon the unbeliever. Uh, we'll point out to you in just a moment that they did not repent in all of this. No one is turning back to the Lord. There's such a rebellion, a hostility towards the Lord. Uh, they are not seeking the Lord. They are not repenting. They do not fear the Lord. They continue in rebellion and sin in spite of the judgment that God is pouring out upon them, in hopes that they will repent, in hopes that they will turn. Friends, a large, port, a large part of understanding the tribulation is understanding that this is an attempt by God to demonstrate His power. Yes, it is the outpouring of judgment, but the ultimate hope of the Lord is that um, these will repent, that they would be saved. It brings the Lord no pleasure in sending anyone into the devil's hell. I want you to know that. The scripture is clear that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, the plagues come out, fire, smoke, brimstone, one third of mankind was killed. Think about that. Let's just assume 
that if the rapture took place today, there are 2.5 billion professing Christians on the planet. They're out of here. Uh, and we know that approximately on the planet right now, there's 7 billion people. So uh, we're taking, uh, of course, those remaining people, those who have survived up to this point. We know that the, uh, the, the oceans have already turned to blood. The fresh water uh, has already turned. There have been many deaths already upon there. I don't know the number of people who remain. However, of those who remain, the Bible says one-third of them are killed during this specific woe, during this sixth trumpet judgment. So that is a significant outpouring of wrath upon the earth. One-third of the remaining population of the earth is killed by this judgment. Man, just a tremendous outpouring uh, that's hard for us to even wrap our minds around. The unfortunate response here, when the uh, horses, you know, come forth, their powers twofold, we see out of their mouths come the fire, smoke, and the brimstone, which we've discussed. Their tails, the Bible says, are like serpents with heads. Let your imagination, you know, picture what that might be like, like snakes, okay, serpents, and they have heads on them. And the unfortunate response from humanity, in verse 20, the Bible says, those who were not killed uh, did not repent of the works of their hands. And what did they do? The Bible says they continued in the worship of demons, gold, silver, brass, wood, stone, idols, which are lifeless and can neither see nor walk. Now, friends, one of the things that might amaze you about the last days and about the tribulation is that idolatry will be rampant. We're going to see as we move deeper into the book of Revelation that the Antichrist actually fashions a statue and somehow it is demonically animated. And he requires the entire earth to bow down to this particular statue and to worship the image of the beast, the image of the Antichrist. And so it's amazing to me that with all of our uh, technological advances, with all of our intellect, as much as we've grown, that uh, part of what will commemorate worship in the last days will be uh, the same old thing that has plagued humanity from the very beginning, idol worship. And so uh, these demons, these uh, lifeless things, gold, silver, brass, wood, stone, the Bible says these are lifeless. They can neither see nor walk. And in spite of the reality that a third of mankind perishes at the outpouring of this judgment, those who are left, who have witnessed of these things, the Bible said did not repent of their sins. Specifically are mentioned their murders, their sorceries, and their sexual immoralities, and their thefts. They continue, in spite of the evidence of the power and the presence of God, to persist in uh, sin and unrighteousness. Two woes. Two woes here. The locusts released from the bottomless pit and the, the horses. 200 million riders strong that come forth with plagues. Uh, the great outpouring of the wrath of God in the fifth and sixth trumpets. And, of course, uh, just a mighty movement of God's wrath and judgment. Remember, friends, uh, one of the criticisms of the pre-trib rapture position is that, hey, we deal with all kinds of tribulation now. Jesus said we'd encounter tribulation in life. That's true. But I want to point out to you the reality that the tribulation we live with prior to the tribulation, prior to the rapture, is the result of our flesh. It's the result of the fallen world that we live in, the devil's work. I mean, it's all the work of the devil, right? We deal with the ramifications of sin. When someone steals from us, when someone cuts us with their words, when someone lies to us, uh, when someone is unfaithful to us. All of these things are the result of sin in the world. It is not the direct outpouring of God. And so what makes these tribulation judgments different as we think about the seals, the trumpets, the vials, is that it's not the devil pouring them out. It's not the flesh. It's not the fallen world. It is God 
directly pouring out judgment upon fallen humanity, unrepentant, sinful humanity. See the difference? The trials and tribulations that you deal with right now are the result of living in a fallen world. But in the tribulation period, the seven-year period, the outpouring of these judgments is the direct handiwork of God. He is enacting His judgment. It is the Lord Himself who uh, authorizes and activates these particular judgments in order that men may repent and, of course, to demonstrate who He is and to bring forth justice upon the earth. Well, friends, we're going to keep it short today. Uh, we'll come back and look at chapter 10, uh, the mighty angel with the little book. John eats that and it turns his stomach bitter. We'll be introduced in chapter 11 to the two witnesses. We'll probably take 10 and 11 together and then get into the seventh trumpet, which is the proclamation of the kingdom which is to come. And so a bite-sized podcast today, but it is so good to be able to break open the bread of life and to take it in. So maybe this will be just perfect for your morning commute, and I hope that um, the study together blesses you in a tremendous way. Hey, I don't want to be here during the tribulation. I believe that the pre-trib prophecy position is correct, and for two main reasons. Number one, it preserves the doctrines of eminence that the Bible speaks so much about. In Matthew 24, especially in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, parable of the unjust servant, parable of the talents, uh, there is a consistent teaching from the Lord that we do not know the day and the hour of our Lord's coming. His coming is imminent, without warning. He says, I will come in an hour which you do not suspect. So eminence is a real biblical doctrine. Only the pre-trib position preserves the doctrine of eminence. I also want to say to you that only the pre-trib position preserves consistency with the gospel. Because listen, how is it, how would it make sense in, in any universe that Jesus, who paid for our sins in full, who bore the, the uh, suffering that we deserve, the wrath that we deserve from a just and holy God upon Calvary's cross, how is it that we who have been rescued from sins, whose debt has already been paid, should go into the tribulation and, and, and be recipients uh, of the outpouring of God's wrath again? It's inconsistent with the gospel. The wrath that we deserve has been paid in full by Jesus at the cross. And let me tell you, if you think that Christians would go into the tribulation and just live life as usual, unaffected by these global things, that's a naive position, my friends. No, we are rescued from God's wrath. We are not subject to God's wrath. As the Lord said to the Revelation Church, uh, we will be spared from the wrath which is to come. Well, friends, I thank you for listening today. Pray the Lord would bless you richly. Can I ask you to do me a favor and share this podcast, maybe with a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, co-worker, friend, family member, someone in your life who would be blessed by listening to this kind of Bible teaching. And we'll see you next time here on the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. <music>